What is up, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you, thank you, thank you for turning, tuning into this episode of The Drop-In. You know, I was so stoked driving into the studio today because my guest today, we've been friends, I don't know, two decades or something like that, and it was just uh, ran into each other a few months ago. I'm like, man, I'd love to have you on the show. He's written a book, and he decided to come in to the studio today and spend an hour with me, with you, uh, just talking about life. It is Freaking phenomenal. This dude is a BMF. And when you see him on the screen, when they show the little lower third thing, they're like, hey, Gerald, what do you want to put on there? I'm like, BMF. And everybody's like, huh? And I'm like, bad. Because Pat is. And you get to see him today here on the show. But first, 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 I want to talk about this hat. There's a gentleman, and he goes by Aaron Boy, E-R-R-A-N-D Boy on Instagram. And I've been following, I've had his stickers for like a decade, a decade. I sent him a message a few weeks ago and I said, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to have you on the show. Your sense of humor is money. Your artwork is rad. And he didn't even acknowledge that I invited him to come on the show, but he sent me a box of stuff and he said, happy holidays, Gerald. Glad to connect. Boy, dude. Nobody knows who he is, but he puts out these funny guy. This guy says, don't act your age unless un, unless you're eight. Don't act your age unless you're eight. I act about 14, but eight was a good year. Eight was a good year. Yeah, I was playing squirt hockey. We were taking over the world. I was just really falling in love with that game. But if you can, check out Aaron Boy and support this dude. He's been putting out some of the coolest stuff for over a decade. My friend Bill Danforth had stickers of him, or stickers that this guy did on his fridge, and I have those fridge doors in my house hanging up like artwork but anyway Aaron boy check him out cool guy I got to give my friends props and even though we don't personally know each other I feel like him and I do so rock and roll thank you for doing what you do I'm sure he's going to watch the show when this one airs before I get too much into what's been going on in my life uh, I want to talk about the BMX world because my guest today um, he's, I mean, been all over the world riding a two-wheel machine. And for me, you know, if you've watched all the past episodes of the shows, we've had Ron Thomas in here. We've had Mark Flipowitz in here. And now we have Pat Schrader in here. And you're like, dude, you're a skateboarder. Why do you have these BMX guys in here? Because when I was growing up, the BMX guys were the coolest. And they had the best ramps. And I liked riding big stuff. They had the big ramps. So I ended up having a great group of friends who loved two-wheel machines. And they're still my friends to this day. And so it's with great honor, and, and I don't even know what a good word would be to introduce you guys to a very good friend of mine, Mr. Pat Schrader. Pat, thank you so much for being here in the studio today, brother man. How you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. How was your uh, Thanksgiving? How's the holidays been so far? Been great, man. Just, yeah? You know, hanging out with the family and chilling. Well, eat eat the, some food. Well, the weather's been pretty cool. I mean, we got that early snow here in Michigan, but uh, for the most part, it's been pretty nice weather uh, thus far. Yeah, can't complain. Yeah, not too, not too cold. You know, I, I've been enjoying it. I haven't been skateboarding outside, but, you know, it's it's still good. I'm glad we're not plowing through 10 inches of snow yet. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, let's get right into it because I brought up I've been friends with BMXers my whole life. Uh, where did you grow up? How uh, We're going to get into 1982 and your first BMXing, but where did you grow up and uh, how, was, uh, how was that? Uh, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan and um, started riding BMX. Uh, I started, I learned how to ride a bike in 81, and then in 82, I started racing. 
racing. Yeah. You know, I actually raced probably about the same time. There was a track in Woodhaven, Michigan, okay. a dirt track. And I have one trophy from BMX Racing before I even fell in love with skateboarding. Uh, where were you racing at out near Saginaw? There was this, uh, this it was called Lee Street BMX, I believe. And um, it's now a, a boat dock. Uh, <laughs> a boat dock? Yeah. <laughs> How does it go from a BMX track to a boat dock? I guess it's close enough to the water. That makes absolutely no sense. Like, I mean, Saginaw, I've been to Saginaw. Saginaw actually is a rad town. I know it gets a bad rap, Sag Nasty and all that stuff. I've had always had good time in Saginaw. Yeah. How long were you in Saginaw for? Did you, you go to high school there, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, I went through. Uh, I lived there until I was about 22, 23. Um, but I was living, I was like, I had already moved out by then. I lived in Kalamazoo for a little bit and then started uh, getting the travel bug pretty much as soon as I got my license and um, tried a different pl- couple places in Michigan and was always trying to travel Chicago stuff like that ended up in Cleveland probably when I was about 23 and uh, lived there for like 15 years and while I was living there I was traveling around doing the thing at Woodward over the summers and going wherever and well, one of my one of my one of the greatest times in my skateboard life was the Empire of One tour when we came down through Changa World. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was incredible. It was I don't even know, 96, 97, somewhere in there, somewhere yeah. in the mid 90s. And the gen, the guys from Flint, Empire of One was a skate shop in Flint, Michigan, it's right in the middle of the state, not too far from Detroit, and they were going on a, a filming tour, five cities in 3 days. They invited myself and uh, legendary uh, skateboard icon Bill Danforth to go with them. It was hilarious because none of them knew us. Yeah. And I'm Mr. Passive. Danforth is looks gnarly as heck, but he's a pretty cool dude to travel with. But they had no clue how to treat us. So we were like in the back by ourselves because they thought we'd like cut them up and eat them or something. They thought we were like cannibals. <laughs> I don't even know. But we get to Chenga and uh, heck, did you open the doors to the place for us that day? Yeah, yeah, because I'd known Bill for years and um, he was like hey we're coming through and i was like cool i'll open the doors for you because his band um smatch played at chenga a couple times and so they would play as we were riding and stuff it was fun you know because i had that wooden rhythm section there and like the uh the stage was right there so you would jump and land and like they're right here and people are just the other side of the landing so you're just like flying in between the stage and the crowd of people watching and it was a fun scene man and bill did do a heck of a job with the shop up in flint he was trying to create a similar kind of environment with the ramp in the shop and he'd have bands play and contests it was a cool vibe what he was doing there. yeah for sure i saw hot water music play there it was awesome and uh skated i, I was riding the, the ramp while what's his name chuck was riding he was skating it and stuff it was cool and then he shot his board through the through the ceiling one time <laughs> yeah that was cool but the chenga the chenga scene was very very unique and and it was uh, right near cleveland ohio and it was in an old like farmer jack or grocery store kind of, i don't even know what that was i don't know what it was either it was like a kmart sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, just a great spine ramp great street section uh Always, I, I visited Chenga One, probably three or four or five times, and I always had a great time. But yeah. that tour, that was our first stop, and that set the bar so high for the rest of that tour. And they they put out a whole video about it, three yeah. five cities in three days, and uh, it started uh, that day. 
Yep. That was such a such a rad time. The, we oh, I, I can't talk a lot about that tour, but <laughs> there was fireworks involved. There was a lot of things that went on in three days. I mean, uh, we had Secret Service in D.C. kicking people out. It, it got a little hairy yeah. there for a minute. Um, but so you stay in Cleveland that long. What kept you in Cleveland? Why did you stay there? Well, my family was only four hours away, so if my dad ever needed something, I was I could be home, you know? And also, like, I was living at the skate park for a few years, and then I ended up just getting a place to live. When I originally moved down to Cleveland, I had, like, $300 in my pocket. And I was like, I don't know. I'll just go. Screw it. I'll see how long I last. And 15 years later, I moved out. <laughs> and at that time, did you have sponsors and things as a, as a rider, or were you just you were just going and doing whatever? When I first moved down there, I didn't have anything going on. I was just trying to ride bikes and... We all know how Michigan winters are, and it's even rougher up in Saginaw. And uh, there was no such thing as indoor parks except for Kazoo Skate Zoo, and that was a three-hour drive for me. And there was only certain times that bikes could ride in there at the time. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it was like Saturday nights from like six to nine or something. Just like, all right, I'm gonna like try and ride Flatland over here or something in the corner while people are whizzing by on bikes. It just so I just split, you know. Yep, and Kazoo was. I mean, I, I uh, talking with Toko about Ferguson, and Bill Ferguson owns Kalamazoo Skate Zoo. It's still open to this day. It may be the oldest indoor park in the country, if not the country, this side of the Mississippi. And I had no clue. Yeah. I had no clue. It's I mean, I've been forever. going there since like '86. I saw the first Alien Workshop demo ever. At KZU, Neil oh, Blender was sitting there, and sick. yeah, it was a crazy thing. And at yeah. the time, I'm like, "Oh, excuse me, Neil, I need my stuff." Didn't think twice about it. Now I'm like, "I didn't even talk to him. Didn't even <laughs> talk to him. Grabbed my equipment, told him, get out of my way.' Yep. That's about it. And uh, that place holds a lot of history. But it was the only place uh, in Michigan you could ride indoors. I drove two hours every Saturday during that period of time so I could skateboard all year long. Yeah. Yeah, and from Saginaw, yeah, bonus hour uh, from there. Um, so you're down in Cleveland. You're living at the skate park. When? Well, let let me back up a little bit. When did you get into like the freestyle BMX and out of racing? Well, that always just kind of happened. So in between motos, all the older guys would just screw around. They'd have like a little kick turn ramp set up against a tree, or they'd just be in the pits just doing basic flatland tricks you know like maybe a tail up riding backwards stuff like that and you just kind of like you you want to be like the older dudes who are like riding good so you just start doing that stuff and then next thing you know the track closes down and you're riding flatland because there's nothing else to ride and then just kind of spawn from there right on for me Sort of, I mean, with skateboarding, it was it was just, uh, we were lucky to have an older guy with a half pipe in our city, like right. almost two years after I started sneaking back there. Yeah. And, and luckily, he took me under his wing, and that cultivated a lifelong passion for me. Uh, for you, did you have anybody at that time you looked up to? You know, you said the older guys. Was there anybody in particular? Because we had, uh, Scott Town was in and out of Michigan quite a bit, right. but was there any one particular person you can think of at that time? Um, there was a couple guys just from the track that never went on to be anybody famous in magazines or anything, but there was Mike Rowe and another guy named Tom, and those were the guys who just, I mean, Mike Rowe was doing 720s in like 82. It was just amazing, like the stuff he was doing. Now that picture's rad, huh? 
<laughs> you sent that, and I'm like, we're using it in the show. I knew it was going to pop up. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> One day, I'll bring in mine where I'm like 14 with the Tony Hawk dude sitting on my spree or something. <laughs> like, I don't have anything like that, but that's such a rad picture. Yeah. Like, yeah, that should be your next tattoo. But, uh, All right. So... <laughs> So you're down in Cleveland. When do things start happening where it's getting bigger than just being in Cleveland? Cleveland was such a good like middle road for everything, whether it's a band coming through town or somebody's doing a tour, like especially during like the season where people were going out to Woodward Camp in Pennsylvania or coming back from. So if you were at the park, you were meeting somebody coming through. So you just start making connections and meeting people, and I don't know, I guess I people took notice of whatever I was doing. I never really cared or wanted to be anything more than just able to ride year-round, you know? And then, I don't know, I, I can't tell you, like, August 15th, 1997, you know? Like, it was just like, it just sort of, all right, next thing I know, Scott Towns hooking me up with Etnies, because he was the Etnies rep at the time, and it just... It just happens, you know? I don't know. Didn't try. Well, and Scott Town is such an amazing dude. I've asked him to come in the come on the show a few times. Eventually, I'm going to get him in here because... You're going to have to do multiple shows with him. He's just a wealth of knowledge. Yes. <laughs> and I knew him. I initially met him at Keizu, mm-hmm. and he was, you know, full on in the skate world, announcing the contests and stuff, and he was the guy we were looking up to. Right. Um... And then I was on America for a very long time, and because he was the rep of Soul Tech, he was taking care of me, and I learned more about him, more yeah. about his history with BMX and everything that he has been involved with, and I was just like, like this guy is way... I thought he was the coolest guy, the, the limited uh, amount of information I knew at the time, and then right. when I kept learning more, you're right, that would have to be like a whole week of shows with <laughs> Scott Town, because he's still crushing it and yeah. skating, and, or, uh, uh, skating and BMXing and posting up some of the raddest shots, still involved in the community, a very uh, humble and... Uh, Honest and just a rad dude. And what's really cool about it is seeing him do that with his kids now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the stoke is higher for him to watch his kids skate and ride than it is for him anymore. Or just the same, you know? It's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep, he is a, a, an amazing, amazing specimen of human being, and I'm honored to call him a friend to this day. Same. Good yeah. for you, Scott. Yeah, he's a rad <laughs> dude. So get in here, Scott. When you watch this, we want you on the show. Um, so, uh, when do you start traveling? Scott starts hooking you up. People start taking notice. When do you start traveling? Pretty much right off the bat. Like, just, you know, we'd work on the park, and like I said, there might be Woodward Summers, or there might be, like, whatever, because Cleveland is such, uh, it's a port town, so within a day's drive, you can be anywhere. You can Mm -hmm. ride new stuff, like, real fast. So, we were just take a day trip and next thing you know you've been to like six or seven cities this month you know like riding whatever you go to a comp or just hang out or people come through so a lot of the traveling kind of happened to you too because it was a destination 
And, and during this time, uh, people often ask me, they say, how'd you turn pro? And I say, I just never quit because <laughs> there was such an ebb and flow. And for the same reason you said, I wasn't looking for it. We yeah. would just show up, me and the KZU guys skate. One of us was probably going to win, but we didn't really care. We'd qualify barefooted and stuff and <laughs> half the guys would be out in the parking lot doing their thing. It didn't matter. We were just having a good time and we were together. And it was a reason for friends to get together when there were contests or any kind of events. Yeah. And it just it just happened, and and I I, I love it. So I'm still skating to this day. Yeah. With the ebb and flow, uh, it, it was tough sometimes. Life gets in your way. How did you keep going on some of those down times? What kept you going? I mean, what what's the difference between a downtime if you don't care? You know, that is a great <laughs> quote. That is a great. I, I hope. Yeah, I always ask you guys get your pen and paper out before the show starts. Make sure to write that down because that's ex, that's a great answer. That's the answer I'm giving from now on. Because <laughs> I'm just like I don't know. I never quit. I don't know. And nobody's ever asked me why I never quit. I just because I love it. Yeah. I don't know. You know? And, and you know, growing up, you had the magazines, and you were just like, man, I I'm never going to be in California and be one of these guys that are doing this thing. And you you just I don't know. I guess it was just that mentality. I was like, I just want to ride my bike. I don't care. And then I remember the day that, like, my sponsor at the time told me, we're going to put you on the pro team. And I was like, well, what does that, what does that mean? Like, what's going to change? And he was like, nothing. <laughs> I was like, then what's the difference, man? So just keep doing what I'm doing and you just give me a different label. All right, whatever. And see, that's so important for you guys, the audience, to hear this. Because when I turned pro, I came home from the Warp Tour in 98. I'd won it two years in a row. And they're like, hey, these people on the phone want to talk to you. They want to turn you pro. Me turning pro, my board came out. They handed me 40 of them, said, sell them for what you can get, and you have to go to California. <laughs> that's That was my introduction to becoming pro. Was it where the board sales, like your ticket, to like you sell these and buy that, a ticket? That paid for my plane ticket and the money I had getting there to live as long as I could on the West Coast, because I had to go there. Perfect. And, uh, and the rest of the story is hilarious, but we're here to talk about my man, Pat, so I ain't going <laughs> to divulge that one. But um, So you, you get sponsors, you turn pro. Uh, was there any pros at the time like you uh, looked up to that that you you thought were pretty cool that maybe you might wanted to meet? Because for me, it was always John Cardiel. And on that trip that we started talking about, the trip we started in Chenga, I got to FDR Park on that Sunday. We're coming home. I'm like, wow, ah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, man, it'd be great to see Cardiel here. Oh, man. Cardiel. And I look across the park, and there's John Cardiel, Julian Stranger, and Jake Phelps sitting in the van. Get out of here. I'm not even that kidding you. That would have been incredible. Cardiel gets out of the car. He starts ripping around, takes a slam, doesn't skate anymore. Julian never got out of the van, and Jake Phelps never stopped skating. <laughs> but I was so fired up. I mean, that's a highlight of my life. I, yeah. I did some tricks there that I've never done in my life because Cardiel might have watched me. Because <laughs> I, I looked up to that guy. I wanted to emulate him. Is there any BMX guys in the BMX world you had that affinity for? Well, that was part of the reason why I moved to Cleveland because I was riding mainly flatland at the time. So <clears throat> I was going to go ride with like three dudes that I looked up to, Scott Powell, Dave Schaefer, and Chase Gwynn. And um, Chase and I actually lived at the park together. Scott and Dave live close by, but it was their park. And I moved down there to ride Flatland. And I ended up riding more street and park than Flatland after a while. Because the whole community of like BMX riders in Cleveland was just so strong and so cool and just so accommodating. Like 
oh, I'll just show you how to do it this way. It wasn't one of those things like they look, they didn't look down their nose at you. They, it was nothing. It was just such a it was just such a great atmosphere. Like I wish every kid could have that. You know, with the in the southeastern Michigan area right now, we have skate parks going up everywhere, and I've found the community is less cliquish and more. Uh, welcoming with open arms and it doesn't matter i mean some of the scooter kids get in the way but the rollerbladers the bmx guys the skateboarders it's like everybody's hyped on everybody right now it's a pretty cool time to be in uh the extreme sports world yeah and when i was living down there it was super cliquish and i when i went down there it wasn't really like that but it was like during like the rollerblade boom too so saturday nights were just nuts down there i remember one time i jumped Landed. There was a kid land, standing there on his rollerblades looking off somewhere. And <laughs> I just turned at him, and he kind of looks at me, and he ends up on my handlebars. And I just, like, you know, like when you double ride somebody <laughs> to 7-Eleven or something? I just, like, took off and, like, threw around something. And then he was just, like, <laughs> and I stopped, and I was, like, just keep your eyes out, man. He was, like, what the? <laughs> Could have been much worse yeah. for either one of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know, I, I the rollerblade boom was tough. Yeah. I, I was talking with an older a guy who still rollerblades, and he's amazing. I love watching him ride. But at that time, it was tough because they were everywhere, yeah. everywhere. And I ran into a guy one time, and he died, fell down on the ground like he was dying. It was right before a contest, and I'm like, oh, picked him up. And, uh, yeah, ended up, wow, my pants are wet. Five minutes later, I ended up 27 stitches in my knee. Oh, I didn't even know what happened. I'm like... <laughs> Okay, duct tape, win the contest, go get stitched, whatever. But that was a tough time because they were everywhere. Yeah. They were everywhere in Chenga. I mean, there was there was a pretty good flow, but there was some directional uh, issues there at times. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's why I wanted to open the doors for you guys at one time because you just you could crisscross. You didn't have to go directional. You could hip and whatever because that's the way to ride. That was the way to ride that park. It was a, a freaking blessing because we got to skate. There was only ten of us or something to skate that whole park by ourselves. It was so such a great way to open that trip for sure. Um, so this is the mid nineties. You've traveled a ton of places with your bike. Does any one place stand out uh, more than another? Because you've been all over the world, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You sent me some rad pictures, and we're going to talk about your Middle East trip a little bit later in this interview. But is there any any place that you just got there and went, oh, my word? Or years later, you're like, I cannot even believe that. It stands out. Every place has its own certain, you know, light to it. So for a while, like when I was living in Cleveland, I knew I wasn't going to like live there forever. So I just started traveling around the country, too, just to see where my next place would be. And it was between Salt Lake City and Austin, Texas. And I ended up, like, moving to Austin for a few years. And as far as, like, out of the country, like, every trip was awesome for its own reason. Mm -hmm. We went to England. We went to Hastings. We flew into London, drove down to Hastings, and then drove up to Sheffield. So I saw most of England in one trip, which was amazing. I saw castles, went through Robin Hood County, and I learned then that, like, Robin Hood was a real dude, not just, like, some cartoon or a movie that with... <laughs> whoever in it. I was like, oh, he's a real guy. Cool. I'm American. And then um, the Middle East, like, probably one of the most peaceful and serene and just calm places I've ever been in my life. And I remember the one guy that was, like, talking to us was like, this was during, like, the um, uh, Hussein, mm -hmm. you know, era. 
See, and I get them mixed up because the first time there was, you know, a uh, military action in the Middle East, it was around, it was the early 90s because I was still playing junior hockey. So yeah. it was like 91, 92. And then the second time, I think that was the Saddam Hussein thing, which would yeah. have been the later 90s. Yeah, some you know? early 2000s, whatever it yep. was. And um, he was just like, yeah, we just want you guys to think we're all like bad people like him. And I was like, we got shitty people in our, <laughs> in our side of the water too so don't worry about it japan i turned 26 in japan and oh sweet yeah it was cool man so like i said everything's got its own thing so it's not like i can hand first place trophies to anybody i'm just like they're, they're just all awesome that's cool that's yeah. very cool we're sitting here with pat schrader ladies and gentlemen and thank you for tuning in because the first portion of the show our first 24 minutes talk about growing up bmx well now we're going to get into the next phase which i'm excited to talk about because i want to talk to you about tattooing when did you start tattooing and why why well i found tattooing when i was about 13. <clears throat> there was this guy in my neighborhood <clears throat> his name was uh dwayne mcinerney and he had the ramp, and he was also a skateboarder. So, um, opposite of you, I had the skateboard friends with the ramps. I didn't have the ramps. So, Dwayne has a ramp. I always want to go ride it. I don't know anything about him. I just knew he was about six or seven years older than me. So, at 13, 19, that's a huge jump, you know? I meet him one day, just randomly. I'm riding with some friends. They knew him, type thing. And I was like, You got the ramp, right? He's like, Yeah. I was like, I always wanted to come ride it. He's like, Well, why didn't you just come over? I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, like, I'm 13, I'm odd, I got a big pimple on my nose, whatever. And uh, he's like, all right, we'll come by tomorrow. I'm like, all right, cool, come by tomorrow. He's like, we can ride till 3, and that's when my appointment shows up. It's like, appointment? He's like, yeah, I tattoo. I was like, really? And he had, like, a little mom heart tattoo on his arm there, and it was probably about this big, but it, to me it was a sleeve at that point, you know? So I'm like, all right, cool, man. And then uh, I keep going back a few times, gain his trust he's like hey you want to come in and watch this tattoo i'm like yeah that's cool and then he made these sponge paint things where he made skulls all over and he's just like making art and making cool stuff i'm like you can just do this and make a living he's like yeah well all right cool and then he starts tattooing punk rock's going and somebody probably lit up a joint or something i'm like this is just so cool man like this is it this is awesome so so we all Hung out with Dwayne. He opened up a shop pretty soon after that. So if we weren't out, all my brothers skateboarded, and I rode BMX. So if uh, if we weren't out getting into trouble, riding, skating, we were at the tattoo shop in no particular order. That's just the three things we did every day. So tattooing's always been a part of it since I was about 13. Well, and what's crazy, what is crazy is, because I think we're about the same age, so this had to be around 85, 86? I will say 87. Okay, 87. Yeah. Uh, for those of you, like, who aren't quite our age, Come uh, on, ta man. <laughs> tattoo shops weren't on every corner like they are now. At that time, I mean, most of the time, if somebody had tattoos, it was because they were in prison. Um, it was a different kind of thing Definitely. then, because I got my first tattoo in 88. I okay. was 16, or no, I'm sorry, 87. I was 16 years old, and I got my first tattoo. When I went to get my second one, my dad thought it was so cool, he got tattooed as well. <laughs> and he hadn't been tattooed since, like, Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, and then 
then now he's like sleeved, has more tattoos than anybody. But uh, it wasn't the same kind of thing as it is now. No, it was Tattooing totally was very, uh, like I said, you were prison, biker gang, you know, punk rocker. I mean, a tattoo shop, to open a tattoo shop in 87 uh, is crazy a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And to make a living, to say you can make a living at it. But it was cool, man. Like, Dwayne, Dwayne's the hub for tattooing for me. He definitely is. Is so. he still doing it? Do you yeah. Have- yeah, I got a chance to, he's in Florida now, and I got a chance to go down and work with him after I started tattooing. Such a cool experience. Like, even if I never tattoo with him again, I, I did it. You know, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Yeah, see, I'm an illustrator, and people, I, I draw very tattoo style, and people say, why don't you tattoo? And I'm, there's no eraser. <laughs> I, I, I can erase my thing or throw it away, you know? Uh, when did you first actually pick up a tattoo machine and start tattooing? Uh, tattooed my brother Chad, who learned to tattoo from Dwayne, um, just as a fun. Like, I did a skull, my sister did the red little zips out of it, and I think, um, the piercer at the shop he worked at did a 13 underneath it. And I mean, the whole thing is this big, you know. So then I didn't really do anything with it, and I didn't even think about being a tattooer. But the guy that was kind of helping, uh, my brother Chad along, he, uh, he was like, because Chad learned a tattoo, took off, did his thing, ended up back in Cleveland. I helped him get a job at the shop that was a good shop, and I didn't realize how good of a shop it was until I started tattooing. And then, uh, so this guy, Greg, and I just hung out, you know? Like, he taught me how to take make tattoo needles because I was short on money, and this was when you couldn't buy pre-made needles. You had to make them. Mm-hmm. So I was making needles for people, a dollar a needle, you know? And um, he was like, hey, come here, man. You, you've been hanging around a bunch. You learn to make needles. You want to learn to tattoo. And at that point, I was like so immersed in the BMX scene and just I'd just been told I was I was pro, but nothing changed. And uh, he's like, you want to learn to tattoo? And I was like, I never thought of it. Never thought I was worthy of it. Never, you know, I was like, I'm doing the BMX thing and I know I can't have two masters right now. So I got to I have to see this window through. And he understood that. And I was like, well, this... Uh, I hope this window is here again or this opportunity is here again. He's like, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe not. And when I was ready to do it, they had just finished apprenticing a guy, and I think they were just kind of spent on an apprenticeship, you know? Well, so, it's, it's got to be tough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've trained people in uh, different walks of my life, but tattooing, that's got to be tough, especially the first time you, like, take the kid gloves off <laughs> and actually let somebody drill on somebody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then I asked Chad. I didn't want to ask. I, you know, the right way to do it, I'd say, you know, loosely is like you get asked to be a part of it. But I figured, well, I'd already been a part of it, and Chad's Chad, so let's let's try and do this, you know. And it took me. He didn't say yes right away. It took a while, like six months to a year, and then I did like a long apprenticeship, like three and a half years. And during that time, I was living in Cleveland, and I was driving a dump truck. So in between loads, I would just put the drawing table on the steering wheel and just do stuff. Because we'd be at the salt mines for, like, hours at a time sometimes. So i just, like, all right, man, I'm just going to read or study up or draw or do color studies or something while I'm in the truck. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Prior to tattooing, did you draw or paint or do anything with art prior to getting actually starting to tattoo? I'd always been creative in some aspect, but never sat down at a table and just drew, you know, like building ramps or, you know, I'd have to draw enough to figure out what I was making and then make it out of wood or metal or whatever I was doing. So then tattooing came along and that was just a whole new avenue of being creative and 
figuring out how to make something else cool and new. It's pretty amazing that uh, I'm going to say almost 100%, almost 100% of the friends that I have in, and I'll call it the extreme sports world, but it could be BMX, it could be uh, rollerblades, skateboarding, whatever. They're so creative. Yeah. And it, it's not just creative on their bike or their board, but they they either draw or they paint or they tattoo or they play music or they write poetry or something. There's a cre- other creative outlets. I think it comes along with it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's it's phenomenal to me. And, and with you, uh, with art and tattooing, you know, I mean, Danforth, I was lucky because he was t- tattooing at the time and we yeah. traveled a lot. So we'd just be in hotel rooms and he'd be like, oh, we got a few hours off. Why don't we try to bang that one out? Geez. So I have a ton of work by Danforth when he was learning. I was like his. his awesome. I was his canvas when he was really <laughs> cutting his teeth. Um, by the way, Bill, if you're watching this, I want a tattoo. Please, well, <laughs> come tattoo me. Or <laughs> When I see you, I'll get tattooed. We'll have to let him know to either bring his stuff here. We travel down to Florida and visit with him and get, yeah, right. get inked down yeah. there. We'll go ride Kona, get yeah. tattooed. <laughs> that would be rad. So now, um, you know, with, with tattooing, and I pay attention to your Instagram, and I see you travel quite a bit. Do you have a home shop when you're when you're here in Michigan, or do you just do guest spots around the country? No, no. I, uh, I work at Eternal Tattoo in Clawson. That's my full-time gig right now. But what's cool about tattooing and the BMX world is, like, you're giving up, like, street spots or skate parks for tattoo shops. So it's the same stoke. It's the same travel. It's You're just doing one instead of the other. And now I'm at a point where I have BMX friends who are close to the tattoo shops I'm working at. So I'll just go ride with them, go to the tattoo shop, reconnect. It's just, I'm I'm lucky. Well, you know, do you ever see yourself settling? I mean, do you consider this settling down, being back in Michigan and working at Eternal? Or are you going to always continue to travel and do your thing? You got to travel and do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's the answer I knew you were going to say. I just wanted you guys to hear it because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Uh, That's... We're sitting here with Pat Schrader, ladies and gentlemen. It is a freaking honor for me and you to be able to watch this because many people don't know the behind the scenes. You know, they know you in the BMX world or the tattoo world. They're like, oh, yeah, I know Pat. That's about as far as it goes. So this is a pretty big deal for you to come on the show here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks thank again you. for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming and visiting us here at the NRM Studios. Uh, Joe Hughes, a, a mutual friend. Joe Hughes actually has had a ton of run on the drop-in. He will never come on this show, but his name has come up more than 20 times in the first season of the drop-in. You should get him and Scott Town to do like a double interview with those two. That would be outrageous. <laughs> Joe's <laughs> sense of humor only goes to a certain point. Like he would offend half my audience most of the time but scott's so pc he could smooth it out so i think it's a good match <laughs> we might have to work on that but he was at the house last night joe was in uh and when i mentioned you were coming in he's like tell him i said hello and that's going to be a rad interview because pat's a very interesting guy where his was his exact words hi joe thanks <laughs> <laughs> So, um, traveling, I have to get back to a little bit of traveling, because this shot here you sent, um, (laughs) what's going on here? So, that is a natural hot springs in Japan. 26th birthday? 26th birthday, exactly. Um, It's called an unsan in Japanese. I I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation of it. Um, So, they, they have, like, male and female hot springs because you go in naked. So... You can't have any clothing in there of any sort because it um, it's natural, it's pure. They don't want you to 
depurified or whatever with your clothes. So all of us have a towel on our head, and it's probably, I don't know, this long and about this wide, and you just, like, put it over your junk, and you walk in, and then you fold it up and put it on your head, and you're just, it's like, we're in Sapporo, Japan at this point, or just outside of it, and it's about the same as Michigan, like, as far as, like, if you drew a line around the world. Okay. So it was like um, a March winter, you know, icy, snowy, there's bonsai trees, and we're just naked in the water. That's freaking cool, dude. Bunch of dudes hanging out naked. <laughs> that, I, I was looking at it, I'm like, I don't know, maybe Switzerland? I didn't think Japan at the time when you sent it over. I'm yeah. like, they're somewhere up in the mountains. Uh, yeah. I got to ask them about this picture when they pop it up there. But what was kind of cool about that trip is because of the Yakuza, they don't want people to have tattoos or Yakuza to go into the hot springs because Yakuza's mafia over in in Japan, right? Okay. And I, I had tattoos, but none of them were very visible. You can see a little bit of my, my chest right there. Um, and then I have one on my on the side of my thigh, too. And the guy, Dwayne, I was talking about earlier, he did my tattoo on my thigh, and it's like Japanese kanjis with pagodas around it and stuff. And this was before Google Translate and all that, so I had to like search out somebody who spoke Japanese to translate what I wanted said in Japanese and then get a tattooed on me. And I was pretty sure it was right, but you never know. And I go to Japan, and our translator was like, hey, I see you got a tattoo and stuff. I'm like, yeah, cool. He's like, I'm like, what's that one say on my leg? And he's like, I don't know, old world or ancient world or something like that. I was like, yes, it's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've read many jokes like that. Like, yeah. you know, you Google something, and who knows who translated that? It could say giant dork, and you're like, look at that, dude. It's so red. And I'm like, it says giant dork. Dude. Yeah, exactly. I don't know anybody who speaks Japan or Japanese. I mean, I, I guess I do, my buddy Hiroki, but I'd have to send it to him. And that's probably what I would do, the same route you took. Yeah. Send it to somebody in Japan and say, can you tell me that this says BMF? Because yeah. my buddy's going to get it tattooed on him. <laughs> Go back to the beginning of the show for the joke. Um, but but I, was, I was actually living down here, and I went to some, like, Japanese sushi house or something in town, like in Southfield, and their chef, like, actually, I walked in, I was like, hey, this is going to sound kind of weird, but can somebody translate this for me? And now I have that tattoo on the side of my leg. That's actually a cool story. That's a very <laughs> cool story. Um, uh, between BMX uh, tattooing and all that stuff, what do you do to chill out? Is there? I mean, I know those things chill you out. That's Is it, there man. any other thing you do? Like, you do any spelunking or, you know, mountain climbing or, you know? Obviously, like... you're a hair farmer. Your beard's pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just cut mine for No Shade November, so I'm back to baby face. But, yeah. uh, but like, for me, I like to meditate. I like to get out on my, my mountain bike and ride and, and sure. do things that aren't... Um, I found, I don't know if you've found this, but like with skateboarding, at certain points in time after becoming pro, when I thought about it too much, it became like a job and it wasn't fun for a minute. Right. It, it really wasn't. And so there's a handful of things I do that have, I don't care to be the best. I don't care if they pay the bills. I just can do them. And that's out on my bike or mm -hmm. sitting in the park or whatever. Are there any other things in your life that you do just to chill out? I just like being a creative. Like... I do some sign painting. I like to make stuff out of wood. I like to weld. I got a project truck, a 67 C10 that's a driving project. And I also have, um, uh, I practice Buddhism as best I can. I've only been doing it for a few years. I'm no 
scholar or anything like that, but I really am interested in it. I have a, I actually have a room at my house dedicated to just meditation and calm and the Buddha. And I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. I'm a, a fan of Eastern philosophy, and uh, and I've been studying it. I don't know. I've been meditating about ten years. Been really studying the Eastern philosophies for about the last five, six, seven years, and uh, over the last two years, really have gotten into it, like yeah. really understanding it and looking at other people and their views of it. Um, it's 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 interesting, interesting to say the least. And uh, my philosophy currently is surrendering to the flow of life, which is hard. It's Pretty very much. hard. And trying to take personal, uh, uh, my personal yes, no answers out of it. Whatever's presenting to me, I have to do it because the universe is giving it to me for a reason. And it's not my place to say I'm gonna or I'm not going to do it. I just have to do it. It's just 100%. time. It's yes. just time. And that's tough. When you take, to take out personal preference is the hardest thing I've found so right. far. Um, but I want to talk about your book because this book, when you told me that you wrote a book, or actually I saw it online and I immediately messaged you and said, I want that. Um, I was blown away because I had no idea. When I told Joe Hughes, you wrote a book on hand mudras, he's like, what? He's, that's when he goes, Pat's a very interesting dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so He said that because he didn't know what else to say. <laughs> because he just said, you know, he basically said, you just don't know what's coming. He's very interesting, dude. <laughs> um, this book, 108 Mudras, right here, which you can get it, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the best way you can get this book. When you posted this up on Instagram, I was like, hmm, hmm. Pat and I have more in common than I even thought. How did this come about? And for our viewers, what is what is a mudra? Why do people even need to know about 108 of them? <laughs> well, the number 108 is a very profound number in Buddhism because that's the number of defilements you're meant to overcome before you're enlightened. So you'll see something like like this. This is there's 108 beads on this. So if they do certain uh, mantras or prayers, they'll do them 108 times. So you just count it like, you know, every time you just grab a bead. It's a way to count. It's a way to just, you know, show your faith or whatever in and, and the Buddhist philosophy. So <clears throat> that's why there's 108 mudras. Um, this came about because I really enjoy, like, the, the Tibetan paintings. They're called Tonka paintings. And um, I always wanted to know, since I started looking into the Buddhism a little bit more, like what all the hand gestures meant. Because whenever you see them, they're always holding their hands in some different way. And I'm like, I just wanted some little thing where I could just flip through it and be like, oh, that's what that means. All right, cool. And then a dear friend of mine um, named Thomas, who's a great tattooist and a good BMX friend of mine and all that, he went over to England for 10 weeks and his teacher's over in England as well because he's from England. So I was like, just to keep in contact with them over the summer, I'm just going to do a daily mudra. This will be fun. And I also wanted something in my, my Buddha room that I was telling you about just to, like, I just want to cover the walls in mudras. And I have, like, most of the room is covered in mudras now because they're all in, like, five-by-seven sheets that I drew up. So I'm going back and forth, daily mudra, daily mudra, and Thomas's teacher, Jim, who come to find out after I'm done with all this is actually a monk. He took his monk vows. And I'm like, oh, I'm sending this stuff to a monk, <laughs> you know? So Jim's like, hey, do you think you could do 108? And I was like, 
Yeah, sure. Because I never had a number. I was just doing them. You mm-hmm. know, I was like, I just want to know what these mean. I'm just doing them. And then I get to about probably 80 or 90 mudras, and he's like, book? Because we're just going back and forth DMs on Instagram. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> like none of this was ever a plan, you know? Nice. So I was like, all right, cool. So I figured since I did all of this, um, the the whole book with uh, by hand, I want to keep it as analog as possible. That's why I went with the spiral bound. And the only thing that's digital about it is that I scanned it and I gave it to Staples to spiral bound it. That's as, you know. Well, and what's rad about having it spiral bound is that if there is a certain um, uh, page you like, a certain, a certain mudra you like, you can keep it on that page. You can flip it open. You don't need a bookmark because you can flip it to the page you want. And the artwork is, I mean, great. Thanks. Uh, straight and to the point. And hands. I have a whole. I have a book this thick on just drawing hands. Well, that was part of the reason why I started doing mudras. I'm like, there are no different hand positions than all of this. Like, yeah, what I want to get better at drawing hands. I was sucked at hands before I started doing this. You know. I think everybody. I don't care. Everybody sucks at hands unless <laughs> uh, at drawing hands or, or painting hands unless you practice like this. For me, it was drawing, I mean, thousands of them yeah. because they, it's such a strange thing. And, yeah. And you have to draw what you see, not what you think you see because you, you blow it all out of water. That's exactly it. So I'm looking at hands and I'm just drawing hands and weird, like, you know, like, just got to make it work. So I'm like, cool. This will be good for drawing hands. This will be good, like, from an academic point to know what they mean. And from a spiritual point, like, just kind of like... Because when you do a paint, do a painting or something, it's kind of like, you're. It's almost like a the equivalent of a prayer in like Catholicism or something. It's just showing respect or, you know, mm-hmm. something. So I'm like, all right, cool. So that was at least 108 days of just every day, just doing, doing a hand. So anyway, back to Jim. He's like, all right, yeah. I, I sent him the first, you know, copy of it, and he's like, all right, well, text like this needs to have some kind of a, a of a protector in it and I was like okay so the last page has a protector and uh, it was just an, an opportunity for me to learn about a different protector and it's it's a Naga King is what it is it's like half snake half person and uh, then you, he's he's like also you need an intro do you want me to do an intro for you I was like yeah <laughs> and then what you have there is that's it man that is rad. The last page. I'm going to end up, uh, I'm going to have to talk to you about making this into a poster, printing it into a poster, because I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. Cool. That is cool. How did you even start uh, down the Buddhism path? Like, uh, for me, I'm not even sure how I started down the easy, I think it's just wanting to know more, more knowledge. You know, yeah. I, I had went to church when I was like 16, 17, just to learn. Cause I'm like, I'm punk rock. If I'm going to talk bad about it, I want to know about it. So I started going to church and I went to a Baptist church for a long time. I went to a Baptist church for a little bit too. I've read the Bible a couple times, cover to cover. I get it. I love the story of Job. I think it's epic. I think it's a great book. Um, I think it's just for me trying to uh, find what I could really relate to. And the Eastern philosophies is where I felt comfortable and at home. And when I started looking at other people and reading other books, I liked their thought process or how they overcame certain things in their life or how successful they were by being so humble and just doing their own thing how did you even get introduced to eastern philosophy and buddhism well before i go any further i just want to say i have nothing against 
any other religions or me neither. Any, like I just want to put that out there. But I actually found uh, the Eastern religions, Buddhism, um, through tattooing. Really? Like I just love the iconic, you know, just the paintings and stuff is great. And I always wanted a back piece, and I always wanted a protector back piece. And for the longest time, I thought I was going to get a gargoyle, and I just was like, nah, I don't want a gargoyle. And then I started looking at the Japanese stuff, and they do, like, you know, the great bodysuits and stuff. But, I, like, the Japanese stuff just didn't resonate with me that much. And then my brother Chad showed me a certain uh, wrathful deity called Mahakala, and he's a protector. So I got Mahakala on my back, who my buddy Thomas, I was telling you about, is doing. So... That goes full circle. So I'm looking more and more into, like, deities and things of that nature. And next thing I know, like, I'm going to temple and I'm doing prostrations and offerings. And I got mala beads on me and I'm, like, drawing hands. and Just, just like an evolution. Yeah. You know, just a natural evolution. Another thing, didn't mean for it to happen. Here I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts because, you know, I mean, for eons people you know philosophers if you look for it too hard you'll never find it but when you quit looking you find it and that sounds very much like the way your life has operated from the bmx world on up and who knows what's coming next i mean you wrote a freaking book pat that was an accident (laughs) (laughs) and it is a great book if anybody wants to get this book what's the best way they can do that they can just dm me on instagram Um, and what's your instagram Make sure to spell it because they'll jack up your last name. Oh, everybody it. jacks it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so my Instagram and my email are the same thing. So P-A-T-S-C-H-R-E-A-D-E-R at Yahoo. Or my Instagram's the same thing. Okay. So All right. Make sure to check it out because if this is something you're interested in, you know, I'm sure even if you message Pat with a question or anything, he would answer it very much. So what, I mean, for crying out loud, I know you don't have any... Uh, uh, you're going with the flow and whatever happens, happens. I get that. But do you have any ideas of what the next six months, year, two years are going to be in your life? It's going to be cold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at least for the new, next few months yeah. anyway. I don't know, man. Just travel, hang out. How much you been riding lately? Not much for the last year. I had hip problems, so I'm sorting that out right now. I've been going through excruciating pain for 24 hours a day for the last month, and I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm shifting some things. Actually, today, I, I just told my wife, I'm like, I'm shifting back, back to a full-on vegetarian diet and uh, shifting my meditation a little bit to a different focus because uh, it's almost unlivable. And I still am skating yeah. like once, twice a week, but all day long. And I haven't said anything about it till today. Yeah. I mentioned it to somebody and like, what, for a month? I said, yeah. I wonder what it would be like for a normal person with a normal pain tolerance, what <laughs> right. they'd be going through right now. Right. But um, uh, you going to get back to riding more? I mean, your hips. Yeah, I want to. That's that's the point. You know, like I I mean, obviously, like, uh, quality of life, I want that. But I also want to be able to ride because that's part of my quality of life. I miss riding my bike. Mm-hmm. And the adrenaline, that's, I think, underestimated by a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. If you don't know what that feeling is, you'll never know, man. Yeah, and that's, you know, being able to be here at the NRM studios and stuff, when I when I do this show, I get fired up. I mean, it takes me like six hours to calm down once I walk out the door. Part of the reason I started my first podcast is in 2010 is because I had hip issues and I couldn't walk. Yeah. I couldn't walk at all. 
And I'm like, I need to do something to keep the adrenaline up. And that's when I started a podcast from my couch, similar to what we're doing here. The adrenaline, if I don't have it, I get freaking ornery. Yeah. You know, if there isn't something, if it's hockey or skateboarding or this, I, I get a little bit bent out of shape. And you being a lifelong, uh, I don't want to say adrenaline junkie because that's not a good term, uh, a lifelong person who has had adrenaline in, in it every day to take that away, that's huge. Yeah, for sure. That's huge. Now, with tattooing, how do you keep it together? I mean, I, I get fired up. <laughs> when I draw, I mean, I guess single point focus. And we're going to go back to Buddhism because when I draw, people always ask me about meditation. They're like, how do you meditate? And I said, well, early on, I had to listen to somebody telling me to relax. That's how I started. But now, if I sit down to draw, anything that I'm single point focused on, it doesn't matter, playing my drums, drawing, whatever, it's a, it's a form of meditation. When you're tattooing, there's other things. Things involved there. You have a person you're tattooing on. They could move. How is it? Is it like that? Like a single point focus? Is it? How is yeah, it? For sure. Like, but it's not the same as like drawing or painting. Like, like I'll I'll go out into the garage sometimes and like paint like something, and I'll tell my girlfriend I'll be back in like a half an hour, forty minutes. And like three hours later, she was just like, "You're out there. I just didn't want to bother you. I figured you were in the zone." I was like, "I guess so." <laughs> you know, like you don't. It, I just. I'm I'm lucky that I have that that I can, I have something where I can just get lost in it like that and just a few hours go away and then, you you know, you stand back and you're just like oh I did that you know and if you're lucky enough, you leave the room too, you know because a lot of times you're still in the room even after you go inside. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. My one of my favorite things is because. Sometimes when you're so close to something, which I'm sure you've you've had this experience, and I, I it's tough to explain. But when you're so close to something, you don't see it. And so when I what I mean by that is a drawing or a painting or something like that. When I do it, it's cool, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just drew that, and I put it in my sketchbook. And when I come back and look at it, or, or come across it six months later, I'm like, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like I, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I can actually recognize what I, the the art that I produce. When you tattoo a person, I think it would be, for me, it would be weird to do this beautiful work of art, because you do some amazing work. I, 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 I see it. To do this amazing piece of work, and then it walks out the door. Yeah. And, and it's a different kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's strange. How does that? I mean, I guess you could say it. I'm, I'm stoked. This person had the, enough trust in me to let me put something on them for the rest of their life. But you do this amazing piece of work, and now you might not never see them again. <laughs> what What's cool about it though is like you you can look at it from that point of view. You can be like, this is our tattoo. Like you get to wear it, but this is our tattoo. So I try and go into every tattoo with that mindset. Like I want to knock it out of the park. Don't screw this up. Do a good job. This is our tattoo. And when they leave and they're just like, just stoked and they're just like, yeah, man, that was awesome. And you're talking to them and then, you know, you have a good conversation about something or you crack some jokes, you learn something, they learn something, whatever. They, and then they leave, which is kind of like pretty anticlimactic, but it's still cool that like you both agreed on something, you came to terms, they're happy, they're going to talk about it. My work's walking around out there somewhere. Like, that's kind of cool, you know? That's very cool. Very cool. My, uh, again, I, 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 I'm usually Mr. Half Full. 
and and I sound like I'm half empty here because the uh, the part of the problem I I like connecting with everybody yeah. everybody everybody that comes on the show a lot many of them are friends like you and I are but many of them aren't and when they're we're done with the show I'm like man I got a new friend like I want to talk to him every day and I can't do that <laughs> I can't yeah. you know with tattooing there's a connection there there's there's the, both a mental and a physical connection because I have to. You just spent three hours, five hours, six hours. Or even ten minutes, like whatever it is, like but there is a connection with every person. Like energies are released, like in transferred and all that stuff's going on too. Like it's it's a big deal and like I'm just I'm really grateful that people are willing to like let me put something on them for the rest of their life. I mean it's hard enough for people to like trust somebody to cut their hair sometimes you know and like i'm just like yeah let me just get this little patch of skin and i'm gonna do this forever on you you know so well they're lucky to have somebody like you tattooing them because you have a positive vibe and that vibe translates it <laughs> totally translates i have to i have to ask the question though what happens if somebody comes in and they want tasman tasmanian devil with two beer mugs and a red wing jersey on and you do the best one you can okay and you have a good time and you're like what kind of beer are you drinking man <laughs> I like it. I like it. Great answer. Well, listen, this show flies. We're already we're down to like the last minute already. Really? Already. All right. I just want to thank you so much again for spending an hour here, and we're we'll, we're gonna do it again down awesome. the road. Um, uh, but remind the viewers, and again, Pat Schrader, BMF. You're gonna <laughs> see it. You're gonna see it, and uh, just an amazing human. Being and you only got a slice of it here on the drop in. How can people see more? Remind them again your Instagram, any way they can get a hold of you. You can follow me on Instagram, Pat Schrader, P A T S C H R E A D E R. Um, you can contact me same way, Pat Schrader at Yahoo, P A T S C H R E A D E R. And um, or you can come into Eternal Tattoo in Clawson, Michigan on 14 Mile Road. I'll be there. And for the, for the folks in southeastern Michigan, if you need anything, if you want to talk to somebody about tattooing you, stop in Kloss in Michigan. Pat, thanks again, brother man. I'm sure uh, we're going to see more of each other around town and whatnot. Right, You're welcome back here on the drop-in anytime, man. And you guys, what the? Every single guest brings it in a different way, and Pat was no... I, I don't even know what to say. I'm stoked because I get to spend an hour with my friends and you get to see it. So thank you so much for tuning into this edition of The Drop-In. Share it, like it, let everybody know. Positivity viral across the world. I am Gerald Valley. That's Pat Schrader and this is The Drop-In.